Welcome to Integrative Oncology Talk, where we discuss the latest science and opinions from leading voices in integrative oncology. Integrative Oncology utilizes complementary therapies and lifestyle strategies to help those affected by cancer using personalized approaches and evidence-based recommendations. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Santosh Rao, a medical oncologist and integrative oncologist, and Dr. Judith Lacey, a supportive care and integrative oncology physician. With support from the Society for Integrative Oncology, an international multidisciplinary organization whose mission is to advance the science and education of integrative oncology worldwide. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect views of the participants' workplace or SIO and are not meant to offer medical advice. The information, opinions, and recommendations in the podcast are for general information only. Before making any changes in your healthcare or lifestyle, please discuss with your healthcare provider. So hi, <laughs> I'm Judith Lacey and I'm hosting today um, the Integrative Oncology Talk and I am absolutely delighted to be introducing Iran Ben-Arie. Iran, for those of you who don't know of the amazing Iran Ben-Arie, he has his medical degree, he gained his medical degree at the Faculty of Medicine of the Hebrew University of Jerusalem in Israel. I don't know what year. He specialised in family medicine at the Department of Family Medicine at the Bruce Rappaport Faculty of Medicine at the Technion in Haifa, Israel. And Professor Ben-Aria developed and instructed a complementary medicine education program in the Division of Complementary Medicine at the Department of Family Medicine in Baltimore in the US. He's the co-founder and the director of the Unit of Complementary and Traditional Medicine at the Department of Family Medicine, Director of Integrative Oncology Program within Haifa and Western Galil Oncology Services at the Lynn and Carmel Medical Centres. He has done a lot and he is, since 2007, he's also the chairperson of the Israel Society of Complementary Medicine of the Israel Medical Association. Professor Ben-Aria is the primary researcher of the Middle East Research Group in Integrative Oncology, also known as Mergio, within the Middle East uh, Research Group in Integrative Oncology, uh, within the Middle East Cancer Consortium, and is the elected member of the Society of Integrative Oncology Board of Trustees for SIO. He's a regional ambassador to Europe and the Middle East and is the co-director of the SAO online task force that was set up at the time of COVID. He's a nominated member of the expert panel for ASCO, the American Society of Clinical Oncology in Integrative Approach to Cancer-Related Pain Management. Now, Iran has published a hell of a lot and co-authored over 165 manuscript, manuscripts, nine chapters, in uh, textbooks. He, uh, his research interests are quite broad, but in particular, complementary medicine, family medicine, integrative oncology. And the topic that we're going to talk a lot about today, which is traditional and cross-cultural medicine. And he has constructed and uh, conducted multiple studies in, the, in this area and is really leading the way in uh, integrative oncology research worldwide. So more than all of this, Iran is a really nice guy, very enthusiastic, and is also really um, 
one of those people that mentors all of us into how to practice integrative oncology well and how to set up a a service that embeds research into clinical practice, how to treat the whole person and how to really engage others to really um, move this field forward. So with that introduction, this is Iran and hello, Iran. Hi, hi, Judith. I'm happy to be here. So Iran is in Israel. I'm in Australia and we've managed to get our, our clocks in line. So I'm at the end of a very long day and Iran is just beginning his. So Iran, this is really about a conversation, but what I would like to start with is the question that I that I ask a lot of people, which is why are you personally so passionate about integrative medicine in oncology care? And why do you do this work and what motivates you? I think that the, basically it comes from two directions. One is the, is the is the interest in traditional complementary medicine along all these years, a search for um, uh, another dimension to see to see the world, uh, to communicate with people. Later on, it I called them patients, not just people, and I was being more professional, let's say. As, as a student of medicine. And, um, and this passion met also um, the, the more holistic point of view of family medicine, of the biopsychosocial spiritual paradigm. So it was, uh, I was highly interested how to combine complementary traditional medicine with family medicine. That was my main motivation. And, and then I met, um, I mean, it, it happens when you do such things, you know, that most of the patients that come and are having cancer and they are looking for, uh, for uh, they, they have their own quest. And, and then uh, I met this world of integrative oncology, a, a place where you can implement all those insights of, of a holistic, over, a holistic view and integrative medicine in real practice. And it happened at that time that I was uh, treating uh, my colleague uh, who, who uh, was diagnosed with uh, metastatic cancer at the age of 49. And he was uh, a family medicine practitioner who I um, was chosen, let's say, to be his, his physician, his guide. And uh, that was an intensive experience that led me into that world of integrative oncology and to understand that there is a real need to do that uh, inside uh, the, the oncology center and not just as a consultant here and there and something less professional, let's say. So uh, it happened around 14 years ago and, uh, and then I met this incredible opportunity to go into the guarded fortress of oncology in Haifa which was not so easy to enter and uh, to, to establish with the team uh, a different way of, of diagnosis, of treatment, of collaboration. And, and do you think, and where are you today? Where, what, what has changed since that moment 14 years ago? What have you built? I think that, yeah, I, I think that there was a tremendous change personally and, and locally in our center and of course globally 
around the world. And it's it's all, I think, I mean, the, the main keywords here is is to do to do that to, together, to initiate a process of collaboration. So I was alone at, at first, and now we have a team of, of more than 20 practitioners on board. But we have much more than that. We have an intensive collaboration with our oncologists, nurse oncologists, psycho-oncologists, surgeons, palliative care specialists. You know, it, it, it goes, it's, it's like a network of people who are committed to the patient's welfare and who are uh, more willing to look at, at the at the narrative point of view, where the patients are, not their diseases, you know. So it's, it's, it, is, it was a, an, an important journey into that realm of, of qualitative, qualitative uh, uh, let's say quality of life, but also qualitative perspective to where the patients are and uh, an opportunity to really um, implement a holistic uh, perspective, including family medicine perspective into in, w- within this realm of uh, oncology. And, I- and now when I look at integrative oncology globally, it's, it's the same process that we are not alone. It's not just one center here in Haifa in Israel. We have eight centers like that or similar, let's say in Israel and uh, there are many more in, in Australia and in the Europe and in the States, in China, in South America, even in Africa and in India. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a group of, of people that work together and willing to contribute to each other, like, the, like what we are doing here, you know. Yeah, and I think, and I think that's a lovely segue, I guess, to the, um, the topic that I'm quite interested in, which is really um, looking at how we um, we work with the populations that we are that we're treating. So you live in um, the north of Israel and you've mm-hmm. got a very mixed population that you work with. And um, can you set a little bit of the scene of the population of the patients that you see? And then we'll I'd like to go into a little bit of how what their traditional medicines are and what, how that influences your practice. So tell me a bit, a little bit about the population that you're working with. Yeah, so, so first of all, we work with in a public oncology centre. It means that patients patient do not pay inside the oncology ward, let's say. They don't pay any money. So we actually see that the patients that come and there is a, a wonderful diversity of patients that come from all kinds of communities. So basically, North Israel is, uh, let's say, half of the population is Jewish and half is, is Arab. That includes mainly Muslims, but also Arab Christians and Druze. And within the, the Jewish population, you can see all kinds. I mean, the, the diversity goes on to people that were born in Israel and to people that came from more than 100 countries, including a huge community of around 1 million people in Israel that came from the, from the former USSR and speak Russian as their mother tongue. Uh, we see a lot of people that, you know, the diversity goes to people that are, you know, the older people, but 
with with the Arab population, there is more and more young people that that uh, are being diagnosed today with cancer. That's one of the main concerns we have. So it goes from you know patients in their mid twenties to to patients you know eighties and nineties and so on. Um, most of the people are um, are females because. Our intention is to treat patients during chemotherapy. There are more women than men. That's the same experience all over the world, I would say. Uh, and of course, also patients that are, I mean, part of the, about 50% of our patients have localized disease yeah. and they receive what we call adjuvant and neoadjuvant chemotherapy before or after chemotherapy for prevention. And the other half of people with advanced disease so and uh, metastatic disease, and the, including patients that we we treat into end of life. So yeah. it's a uh, it's a multicultural so group with a lot of different traditions, or yeah, with yeah. various stages of cancer. So it's quite yeah, a yeah. complex group of people. And and um, the do the do the populations all have their own traditional medicines that they have used in their in their culture is that quite mixed as well and how do you when you start talking about a holistic approach to supporting people in integrative oncology how do you really approach the use of um, traditional medicines of herbs of food in um, into your practice and integrate that well, you know, that's one of the main challenges. When you ask patients about traditional medicine, you need to, you know, to, to use specific keywords because they wouldn't voluntarily tell you, yes, I'm, 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 I'm taking that and that and that and that. You, ha you have to ask about specific herbs, about specific... You have to open the door, you know, stepwise and in order to, to get into their uh, healthcare belief. And that, that's what really important because I mean, there there is um, it's not always that they think that they use traditional medicine. It's embedded unconsciously sometimes. You know, when, when you're talking about Arab population or Jewish population, it goes very deep into the traditional systems where, who, who, that, that they are affiliated with. They have high affinity with that. So sometimes when you talk with a Jewish person, let's say a religious person or, or non-religious Jewish person about pomegranate, for example, it goes back to, to, the, to the images, to the symbol of pomegranate, how it is related in the Bible, how the Maimonides, Rabbi uh, Moses ben Maimon, the, the great practitioner, the, the Jewish Arab, let's say, the, the Jewish Arab practitioner, that's how they call the Jewish practitioners in, in Islamic countries in the times of the 13th century and so on. So this person used a lot of, he was one of the leading practitioners and uh, uh, in, the, in the Islamic world, but he was referred as a Jewish Arab a practitioner, and when he prescribed pomegranate or other uh, herbal recipes, it is part of the traditions of everyone. So it's it's the same with people that are identified with with the Islamic herbal tradition, with the, the Prophet Muhammad, uh, 
who uh, who suggested recommended of specific herbs and with the big the the, the leading physicians like Ibn Sina uh, from Iran who is regarded one of the leading ones and others and others and others so so I meet patients with their you know background ancestors images so so uh, so and it's a port of entry to talk with them about things that Usually, you know, they don't feel really attached with. If you go to a person like that who is deeply related to traditional medicine and talk with them about an acupuncture needle, wow, it's like, you know, talking about, about a cell phone 50 years ago with someone. It sounds really peculiar, yeah. strange, pecu- peculiar. And and but but it's it's uh, or about mind body medicine, you know. It sounds meditation. Wow, that's for the Buddhists and so on. So herbs and traditional medicine are really port of entry sometimes to the, their world, to the concepts they are identified with. So so it has a huge non-specific effect in terms of commun- of communication with patients in our region. So it's not only about sage and what sage can help you with, yes. although everyone are you know expecting some practical advices. What should I do for my after stomatitis and so on? How can I use the sage and so on? Okay. But but it's much beyond that. Yeah, there is a context beyond the, the the specific contents here. And does that context link to illness and the meaning of the cancer itself? Yes, sometimes yes. And and sometimes it's about, you know, it's a continuum that goes from the physical, let's say the herbs or the symptoms or the paper where the diagnosis is written upon. And it goes to emotional realm and then to the spiritual realm and to and to patients, you know, they they are represented, you know, in the initial meeting that we have with them, the initial assessment, the IP assessment, the integrative physician assessment, with so many, uh, oh, sorry. Sorry, there, I don't know if you want to keep that, but there are a lot of rockets and missiles now, so I, I couldn't afford myself to shut it down. Okay, now it's it's all right. It keeps where your ash real, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So it is, um, and, and it is such a real and interesting place, really, to be. You know, I'm here in Australia, and it's very different. I did work in Israel for a while, and the the population that I see when I talk about integrative oncology, it's very much taking from the traditions of Ayurvedic medicine, of Chinese medicine, of what is accepted mainstream complementary therapies, if you like, of acupuncture, of yoga. Um, but when you look at um, what's missing in that, I question whether traditional medicines need to have more of a central role in a tradi- looking at the the individual and a personalised approach to somebody um, from a specific tradition and how we incorporate that into our um, holistic assessment and practice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I have noticed that uh, is very important to you in your practice. 
Yeah, but, but you know, when you talk about Ayurvedic medicine in India and Chinese medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, TCM, you know, it, 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 it's a political issue, you know, how you, how you um, market these traditional medicines, uh-huh. especially in the U.S., okay? So, so people know about that. Yeah. Uh, they might know about uh, about traditional Central American uh, traditional medicine as well, you know, from the Spanish-speaking populations and so on. But but if you go into the historical roots, there is a huge system of medicine, which you may call Middle Eastern medicine or Arab medicine, traditional Arab medicine. Sometimes it is referred to as Greco-Arab medicine because its its roots is in Greek, traditional Greek medicine. But, you know, the Arabs... And the Jews are included in that, okay? Because really, systematically, that was part of the Arab world in the, in the golden era of the of the Islamic uh, empire, and and the Arabs played an important role mediating between the East, especially China, the medical systems in China and India, and the West, which was specifically oriented to Greek medicine, to Roman medicine, and later on to European medicine. So they were really the great mediators. They were the people that have taken the, the you know, on camels and all those animals from, the, they shifted herbs and traditions and concepts from the East to the West and backward from the West to the East. And and it was in the middle, in, in inside Spain were, this line between the two cultures met, unfortunately not very friendly, but they met there between Christianity and Islam, and and South Spain was regarded, you know, the the highlight, the the ancient Harvard uh, or Cambridge of 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 your of of medicine. So it it was really, it is really quite important to look at that. But even the Arab medicine. This role from the Middle Ages, the roots are coming from the great empires of of Egypt in terms of medical knowledge of Egypt and and the area of Iran or Iraq, Mesopotamia. And they have a lot of traditions. And and our area, the area of Israel, Palestine, Jordan, Lebanon, is in the middle of these two empires. That was the region that cultivated all this wisdom. And at the birth of monotheism, that was really the, 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 the time from where this medicine became more systematic. So when it met Greek medicine and, and it, it emerged into Islamic medicine la- later on, it, it became a more, a very significant modality of traditional medicine. So the people are not very aware to, to the role of this kind of tradition, but it is highly important here. It is significant in daily encounters with both Arabs and Jewish patients. And can you think of an example perhaps of, um, of a, a patient who has um, where you feel that it that, using the traditional medicines has really impacted on and integrating that into their care, their program of care has made a difference or? 
let me look at the future, okay? Okay. <laughs> tomorrow. Tomorrow, the, I hope there would be tomorrow. Okay. And, and tomorrow, uh, await, await who is an integrative physician, our deputy of the integrative oncology program yeah. in Haifa. Await is, is, is scheduled to meet three patients, three new patients. Mm-hmm. All are referred by their oncologist or nurse oncologist. Mm-hmm. And all of them, tomorrow, it's, it's, in, in, it's in northern, northern Israel, and she is going to meet them inside one of our oncology uh, wards. And all of them speak Arabic from age of 24 to age of 52, the three women. So when she would see them, the first question would be, why did you came here? What are your expectations? And most of them would look at her and say, really, uh, who are you? How can I talk with you? I mean, what, what is the legitimate to talk yeah. What are the keywords I can use here? Is it all right to talk about honey, about sage, about all kinds of non-conventional practice that I use? And, and, and I'm sure that the three of them that I never met before, okay, I don't know anything about, about them, but, but nevertheless, based on our previous you know, discussions with so many people, yeah. so many patients, I mean, when you open the door and say, listen, I'm here for you. I'm not prejudiced. I'm non-judgmental. I'm open. I'm eager to listen to you. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the basic thing. And, and, and they will talk about it. They may talk it, about it at the beginning of the session or just following the conclusion of the session. They would be, you know, like in family medicine, this, that sign when you touch the handle of the door, you know, and, 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 the, and, and then they say, I have one more question. And then the discussion yeah. is, is reopened, yeah? And, and it might be in their second meeting or third meeting, but these are really the, the most important aspects to relate to what people already use or consider to use. And yeah. basically, in most cases, it would be related to herbs. Mm-hmm. And as you go to the U.S., it becomes supplements, you know. Yeah. Lots of supplements, multi-component supplements and so on. When you are here or in Europe, it's more about crude herbs. But still, you know, people also bring their supplements. But the supplements are related, I mean, the references for these supplements are deeply rooted unconsciously in, in, in these traditions. And so, so it might be, might, be, might be, for example, black human that they, they want to use because the Prophet Muhammad recommended that for health and we can use it in order to alleviate cancer-related fatigue. It might be sage that a Christian Arab is referring to based on you know the the, the cures that are related or, uh, to, to Maria it might be uh, these this pomegranate or other herbs that are related to to the Bible and so on and we can work together with patients talk about it talk about it looking at the the evidence for its effectiveness 
talk about safety issues, risks, interactions with chemotherapy. It becomes part of the discussion, you know. It's a legitimate, uh, uh, legitimate aspect that you can take into consideration while you are tailoring the treatment plan. And I think it empowers people to, um, to have control of their own wellness and well-being if they are able to use um, herbs or uh, foods or practices from their own traditions and incorporate that into care. Um, for me, I think yeah. the example uh, which I'm very interested in is the Aboriginal culture of Australia where we're um, soon to be hosting the, the traditional healers of, of our um, of Aboriginal healers in our in our centre and learning from their healing techniques, but also the the fact that we don't really understand enough about the bush medicine and understand what traditions people first go to, the meaning of illness, the impact of illness, the the traditional understanding of the mind, body and spiritual connection and how you incorporate that into our delivery of care and I think that is something that we have a potential to bring into our consultations um, but it's that openness that um, I agree you know being open and being engaging and being open to learn and to discover together I think uh, develops that therapeutic relationship where you can work with somebody to improve their wellness and well-being. Yeah, I, I think that there are two words here, you know, one is you just mentioned it's control or self-control. And, you know, the gesture when you listen to control is something that comes from the above and controls down earth somehow. It goes down. It's, it's, it has an incarnating gesture. And people are, are losing this incarnation. They lose their, their soil, their earth especially close to the cancer diagnosis. And they need something to feel, to feel that they are more rooted, so to say, if you use a herbal medicine metaphor. So they need this control. But on the other hand, it's not just control, it's empowerment. And when you're talking about empowerment, it goes up. You hear that, that it goes to heaven, not just to earth. And I think that we need those metaphors in order when we are ill, in order to be ourselves and to be ourselves, to be, you know, erect in a sense, it's to be connected to earth, but at the same time connected to heaven. And we lose this, this relationship with earth and heaven when we have this cancer diagnosis. And I think that the, the objective of integrative oncology treatment beyond, you know, evidence-based medicine and all of that, it's, it's to empower patients, to allow patients to gain more control, to more tools in order to be able to go on the path, on their path, on their path and journey uh, that may lead them, you know, to health or to death. It depends, you know, not everything is dependent on us, but, but there's a spiritual meaning here. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And how do you see the, the doctor's role and that therapeutic interaction and that therapeutic presence as being that person that helps guide them to that self-empowerment and that um, self-efficacy and um, 
ability to have that homeostasis and that um, sense of wellness. You know, when we are in the in the realm of family medicine, we are talking about you know our potential role as navigators of the ship. Uh, in order to have uh, to be a navigator, a ship navigator, you need uh, uh, some kind of liquid medium, you know, a sea, an ocean, something like that. What happens if there's none? But but I think it's to be first of all their case managers, really. Mm-hmm to be able to, I mean, on, on a very concrete level, to be there with them, uh, to be the persons who can, who can co-establish with them, co-define with the patient, what are really the goals of treatment, and, and to be able to implement, but co-implement with the patients and caregivers, if, if they are free to come in, you know, depending on, on the ethics and communication with patients, to be able to do that, to co-tailor the treatment, to reassess the treatment goals, to communicate with the whole team, the oncologist, nurse, family practitioner, surgeon, so many people there, you know. So to be that kind of case manager and to be able to find another case manager to lead them through the journey, so so it might be, uh, it might be the, the the practitioner, the non-MD practitioners who would become their case manager, their you know the the, the person who who is doing those uh, those tasks. It doesn't have the nurse. It doesn't necessarily have to be you, the practitioner. Sometimes it is. So we are, we are a little bit like a gate openers at the first, you know, session. We might be the ones that are becoming case managers with other team members, but we might and we need to release this role as well, you know, to, 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 to offer that for another team member. And that's a beautiful, uh, you know, I'm sitting here after seeing so many patients today and thinking and going through my list of who I've seen this, this, this last month and saying, I can't, I can't manage all of this. So it's really, I think that analogy of being the gate opener and being that person that introduces, empowers, develops a program with the patient, their carer, the team, the challenge is as we've developed this field, and it is popular because it's great medicine. How do you mm-hmm. then empower others to take on that um, care coordination and that management role? Yeah. I don't have an answer. Do you have an answer? How, you, how do you do it? How do you how do you um, how do you find that other person to take it on? I, I think that it's, a, I'm, I'm talking about people from our team, you know, and, and we have a, a diverse, really, maybe I need to talk about that a little bit because in order to to understand what, what we're talking about, I mean, we have a diverse team, multi-professional team. So there are six physicians, there are quite a few nurses and uh, occupational therapists and dietitians and psycho-oncologists, and, they, and there's the important sector of, of practitioners who are integrative practitioners who are not MDs, who are not part of the system, 
of the medical system. Those are the ones that when you were very young and you chose to go to medical school, they do they did their own choice and they picked another line. And, and you know, there is, a, I mean, they, they chose to go into that area of non-medicalized treatment. So it's, and I think that the, the most important aspect being able to do that, to offer that case manager role is the training. And we, we have developed a, a 270 hours training for new practitioners that join the team. And, and, and the training is not just about you know, knowledge and skills and things like that. And it's, it's a lot about attitude. It's about how you can, you know, during this training, you can come as an expert of something. Let's say, Judith, if you would be, if you would decide one day to go back to Israel and to be, to join our team, I would tell you that, that although you are leading worldwide expert in palliative medicine, in integrative medicine, in family medicine, I would, I would expect you to undergo this long training because th that's the way people can communicate within the same team. They, they, can, they can learn, but they can also uh, give, give, you know, uh, be open to, to the other practitioners but to work together. And it's really about developing that multidisciplinary team that all speak the same language and communicate and can pick up where the other person is heading and going, but yet we're all bringing our own skills to that to that space. Yeah. But the yeah. idea yeah. that each member of the team can potentially be a case manager, I think, is a beautiful concept. Yeah, it, it should be like that, I think. I think that that's, I mean, that, that's the really the, the highlight of our role as therapists, being able to do that, being able to be the ones, and you, you, you don't need to be the best knowledgeable person or the, highly, the most high-skilled person, but the one that is committed, committed with your heart, to the patient and to the caregiver and willing to ask your team members to consult, to support you, to support the patient. So, so, so it might be that another person from the team would see this patient, but the patient eventually, the responsibility for the continuity of care, and that's a very, it's a, that's a core concept, continuity of integrative care, weekly care at least weekly care, the case manager is the one that is responsible to, to keep this continuity. No matter what happens, and if there is a need for other consultant, other therapist, if there's a, a, you know, an ER ad, uh, ad, administ administration, if, if there's all kinds of, of things that happens, you know, in real life, it's, it's like a solid element. From the, from the patient perspective. And I think what is unique, and I think that's a, a wonderful concept because we are actually building this community of patients that we need to be um, working with them as their disease changes, as their symptoms change, as different events change for them. 
and working out how best to adapt and assist them in adapting uh, an approach to their care and looking outside of the traditional role of doctor and nurse to be those people is is quite wonderful and that can happen so nicely in the in the integrative oncology space. And what about the general practitioner then? When do you bring in the family doctor into this mix? Not you as a fam, not you with your background as family medicine, but their own family doctor. How do they fit into this um, this care model? So, so first of all, five of the six IPs, uh, integrative physicians in our team, are family medicine practitioners. Yeah, they're not so their family for- doctor. They're not necessarily the patient's family doctor. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. This is their practice. They come once weekly and they they do the the assessments. They do, you know, the initiation of the process and so on. So, but they are open to that and they are really thrilled that they can do a real family medicine there inside the oncology ward. They have at least one hour for an intake and then about 30 to 45 minutes to to write it all down, you know, to communicate with the with the whole team, with the oncologist, and so on. So part of the communication following the initial IP assessment that followed the, the referral from the oncology team. So part of that is to write, to write and refer a letter, personal letter to the family medicine practitioner of the patient family medicine practitioner and ask ask her or him, first of all, we expect the family practitioner to be part of the the potential treatment program. And we expect that from the oncologist, the nurse, the psycho-oncologist as well. So, and we write, you know, an abstract, a consist abstract of of the treatment goals and and, and, uh, and treatment uh, suggestions. And we expect them to relate to that. And we even tell them, listen, if you don't, if you if you don't write back from the patient's perspective, it means that you support everything we are suggesting here. But we are looking for your perspective. And please share with us your perspective re- regarding the patient's physical, emotional, spiritual aspects about the journey, the narrative of this patient, the journey along the, the, the you know, the steps that this, this uh, the challenges this patient experienced. And that happens and they... It happens, it happens, yeah. I think that's a really important part of that continuum of who takes over and who manages that yeah. patient, where that happens and where that occurs. Because yeah. in cancer care, it becomes the oncologist or it becomes the care coordinator for the oncology, the medical oncologist. But um, it's really important, I think, to work out how we look after the person and their family all as a as a group and coordinate that care. I think we're all getting our heads around it as we uh, expand what we do. I will learn forever. Um, and I think that um, I'm going to go back. Uh, so I guess you know I I love the concept of of this of this teamwork, 
And part of your teamwork and the coordination and the empowerment is also the research and getting not just the clinical care, but measuring the benefit of the clinical care. And uh, the way you have quite uniquely included embedded research into everything that you deliver. And I'm just wondering if you would talk to that a little bit as to um, the how that has helped develop the field, I think, of integrative oncology and your particular practice as well. Yeah. Um, maybe I would start in, in saying that in sharing with you and, and, uh, and the audience that the main motivation for research here in Haifa, where we practice in the, in the oncology service, is, is not to publish articles. The main motivation is, is, is related to ethics. And it came basically from the director of the oncology center at that time, who was really, 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 let's say, anti-alternative anti medicine person. But she understood the, the potential of integrative oncology in improving the, the quality of life of her patients. And then when she was really convinced that this is it, it should be integrated here in my place, in my living room, she said, she said, I'm not, I will not, this, this should be given to everyone without any discrimination. And I'm not allowing even a payment of one shekel nothing at all. If we are convinced that this is what is needed, everyone would get that, but subjected to referral, because I wouldn't like you to, 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 to see all my patients, but those patients that we really need you to prioritize that through the referral process. And that was a huge step in terms of integration, the understanding that yeah, it is not covered by the health insurance, the national health insurance basket, but but and we should uh, take some money from the from here from that. No, not at all. That was out of the question. And in order to do that legally, to treat patients when with integrative care when it is not really reimbursed or stated in the in the national health basket, we needed a legal paper. That would, uh, that would put that in order, you know, legally. And that was the, the informed consent. And we needed informed consent. We needed to establish, to establish from day one research that accompanies what we are doing. Even a simple research, a registry protocol at first, in order to do that. And then we understood that it is not just research you know, research in terms of how good we are. That's a very good tool in order to understand what is lacking. And especially with, with communities of patients that are not identified upfront with, with the integrative medicine. And that goes back to the cultural aspects. We understood, understood that our ability to work with old people, with Arab people, with people that live outside towns, you know, with people that come from low social economic background, 
the ability to do that is quite low. And we have to analyze what is lacking, lacking where we don't provide optimal integrative care. So it was like a yin and yang. Usually, you know, you, you focus in, in, in research in the yang aspect, where we are so good at. Listen to me. I'm the best on earth, or at least in Haifa. But when your intention is to analyze where, okay, I'm satisfied. Yes, there is a pericardium 6 acupressure point that can alleviate nausea. Yes, I'm highly satisfied with my actions, but I, my interest, my curiosity is to understand better where the, the treatment is lacking, where there is no optimal response. That's a key aspect in order to perform a deep research in, in those yin areas where, where it is doubt, where the numbers are not so nicely put. And, and then th that's a point of growth in terms of, of, of performing a comprehensive research. And I think that was a, a, an important aspect of or motivation of what led us to later on publish so many publications, you know, about what we are doing. I think it's also a quality assurance or... Yeah, 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 of course. ...activity, because if you're always reflecting on your practice openly, uh, you can really learn from that and make the changes that are needed. So if we're having... So I think that is um, a really important point as to whether we're collecting the data uh, for our own reflection to improve our service or we're collecting it purely to publish, uh, to get grants and to uh, move the field forward. I think it, it's, it's often a, a very mixed, it's often a combination of both because without looking at what you're doing and reflecting on it, you can't move forward. So... Um, but it also is a really, uh, it's really important in the integration into the oncology space and whether, and when you look at that, the head of the oncology department and where you have come to, has it made a difference? Yeah, there's a tremendous difference, yeah. yeah and, I mean, and the, the, the delta is, 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 is huge here. And, and actually, I mean, this approach helped us to also identify our biases. And one of the main bias, you know, is, is the line of thinking that we need to be focused mainly on quality of life aspects. And as time went by, you know, and we understood that it is not our only mission, you know, quality of life improvement or safety, uh, aspects and so on, but how to how, how to support the the oncology treatment as well? That's one of the of the important aspects that we deal today. How we can improve adherence of patients to their oncology treatment protocol, and not just to feel better. So that's a hardcore oncology objective or how you can reduce pain, for example, intraoperatively, as we do now in, in gynecological oncology surgery, where, where treatment of acupuncture and mind-body and manual therapies are implemented, implemented at the same time 
during the surgery with the anesthesiologists, with the surgeons, with the nurses, and so on. So, so the objectives are not just how to how, how to uh, provide a, a non-specific beneficial effect, but highly specific effects that can be measured by palliative um, uh, assessment tools and by, by objective parameters, including cost, money, things like that. RDI, relative dose intensity, how, to what degree there is adherence to the chemotherapy protocol, and, and so on. And interest, you know, that, that, and that thing about money, which is incredibly important because if the cost benefit of actually keeping people well using this more holistic approach and keeping them, getting them to maintain their, um, to be able to stay on very difficult uh, chemotherapy or uh, targeted therapy protocols um, has a cost benefit to the health system as well. If people return to work sooner uh, because they feel better or they're empowered or they stay at work, then that's also a benefit. So I think I think that is a key point that I think we're starting to um, put some effort into research in, uh, in our space anyways, the health economics and the health yeah. and the economic benefit of actually this approach to care. Yeah, it should be definitely the, the, the objective of the next research uh, generation in integrative oncology. We are not there at the moment. We have sound evidence about quality of life improvement, about other aspects, you know, but not, not, not really about cost effectiveness. And so, so this should be really our, our next uh, aim. Absolutely. And we're just starting to get there now. We said, well, you know, where to from here? And there is so, so much to do, isn't there? Um, yeah. Iran, you're doing so much and you're leading the global task force uh, in the Society of Integrative Oncology, developing this global integrative oncology network. Uh, in, in our closing few minutes, do you want to just talk a little bit about where to from here and that vision? of global integrative oncology connection? Um, yeah, I would be happy to do that. I'm, I'm at the moment co-leading this uh, SIO Global Task Force with uh, John Mao from Sloan Kettering in New York. And we now have uh, two additional important members in our task force, uh, Catherine Zolman from the UK and the uh, and Alejandro Salikrook from the from the NCI from the US, and and um, and we have launched in the SAO the ambassador program, which now includes two ambassadors, one regional that's myself for the Middle East and Europe, and and the first national ambassador to the UK. It's like a pilot study that we are yeah. doing with national ambassadors. Yeah. One day we might come. To, to Australia as well, and looking for someone that may be interested to promote that in Australia, okay. in, the, in, the, in the tiny islands surrounding Australia, like uh, New Zealand, which is really tiny, isn't it? Yeah, uh, beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, that's what people say. And, and, and anyhow, yeah. Anyhow, the, the, the idea is to, to promote collaboration, and that's that, that's a collaboration, international collaboration within the, the SIO, which let's say that two, up to, 
I mean, two years ago, when we have met in New York, I would say, or maybe three years ago, I think that the, the main focus of the, of the ESAO was North American. I mean, we, as people from abroad, from the international community, people like the two of us came and shared our vision, but, but the central decisions were made with a, a, a North American orientation. So it was US and a little bit Canada and, and so on. But I think that this was really tremendously changed in terms of the new orientation of the SAO, which is much more international. It became an international association. And the meaning of this collaboration is, is not just nice to have people from Australia or from Africa or from the Middle East or from Europe, but that's a bidirectional dialogue that just opened. So it's not just something that came from the temple, the US temples down earth to the, the international countries, but it, it should represent also our perspectives. And our perspectives are much more practical in terms of services, in terms of, of research, which is pragmatic, not always randomized, for example of our intention to provide care and not just research. And, and that goes along with commitment to evidence-based medicine. And of course, it's, it's not on, on the expense of that, but, but it, I think that's the idea, that people would be able to work together, to think together when there is, for example, th this task force that I'm, I'm I'm uh, related to the Eduardo Bruera and John Mao about pain, a task force shared by ASCO and the SIO regarding pain yeah. in palliative perspective. I mean, when I'm looking at these guidelines, which is really, it comes from ASCO, so you know people are really US centers, but the main issue from my perspective and from my colleagues in the international community is to ask ourselves to what degree the recommendations would be implementable in our countries. So we need to bring our own perspective. So, so uh, guideline recommendations would not be something that is released you know, to the air or to a, a nice uh, uh, reporter you know, that would uh, just uh, write about it but would be able to be implemented in real practice. And I think it's a, it's a great, um, and it's a great initiative of the Society for Integrative Oncology to, to feel uh, ready to uh, expand and be a global international uh, organisation because I think there are so many voices and I think the uh, voice of traditional medicines is only just from Varying cultures is only just starting to find its space in um, in the world of integrative oncology and in allopathic medicine. I think we're learning so much and we're learning so much about what we still need to learn that we don't know much at all. And I think that is a wonderful space to be in. I think voices like yours and the voices from many other organisations and different healthcare systems will help us really understand the 
complexity of caring for people with cancer and now this growing group of people who are living with cancer as a chronic illness and living with cancer for much longer and expecting to stay well and stay active and contributing to their society. So I think there's so much that we can do in this space. And, um, Iran, your contribution is incredible I, um, uh, to this area and your enthusiasm inspires me and that's uh, and it's always fantastic to be able to speak to someone. I feel very honoured to be in the position of co-hosting these talks and being able to just talk to interesting people and learn more about what, what's going on for them and what they bring to this field. And I will, I guess, ask you to give the concluding remarks of what you would like, what message, if you had a message for um, where to from here, um, where do you see the future of integrative oncology? Do you have or anything else you would like to bring up as a concluding remark? Oh, the message to take home, the Americans would say, isn't it? Um, yeah. English concluding remark, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that that it would be wonderful if we would be able to work together from all countries, from all cultures, and to advance integrative oncology based on curiosity to, to the other and modesty, as well as commitment to the welfare of, of, of our patients and our own health as well, you know, as healthcare practitioners or researchers, to be committed ethically to that not to ethic committees, but to the inner purpose that, that, uh, that initiated us to go into our own journey and the journey of the community that we established to create. So, so that's the message, I would say. Being able to promote together, together, together. Thank you so much, Iran, <laughs> for your time. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you.